Welcome to the Naffy Break Podcast. I'm Dominic O'Sullivan, and I'm really glad that you've found us. This podcast hopes to shine a light on the successful transition from the military made by our service veterans. You don't have to have served in the military to want to hear their story. You're going to hear some insights, some inspiration, and maybe a little bit of that forces humour along the way. We call it Naffy Break because in the old days, we used to go to the Naffy on our tea break and coffee break during work. The Naffy doesn't exist anymore, but the whole ethos of sitting down, having a chat over a coffee, talking about life's issues still exists. So I hope that during this next half an hour or so, you're going to hear some pretty inspirational people telling their story and how they went through that transition process. So I'd like to welcome listeners to the pod today and I'd like to introduce Helen and Tony Dunn. Hello. Hello. Hi, thank you. Now this is a bit of a first for the podcast. Obviously we've shined the light on uh, servicemen and their transition process from the, from the military and leaving. But we're going to take a different aspect on it today or a different focus on it today because we're also going to talk to Helen and your experience as a, as a spouse through the service career of your of your husband and and what this transition process is is doing for you as well so uh, it's a first for the pod i'm really delighted that you've given up the time um for it today i, I hope we don't cause any domestic disputes in the next half an hour or so i'm sure we won't i'm sure we won't um so i'm going to come to you first tony if i could and just yeah. kind of explain to the listeners what was your decision to join the services? You know, where did you join from and kind of what did you decide you wanted to do? Okay, so I was brought up in Whitley Bay in the northeast of England. I left school May, June 1982 and wasn't able to find a job. There was no apprentices, apprenticeships around at the time. And um, I ended up on a, a government work and learn scheme where you do a few months in college and a few months work experience with a company. And there was a a gentleman worked at the college. He'd uh, recently left the RAF after 22 years service. And his last job was at the careers information office, Ridley Place in Newcastle. So I got speaking to him and he he asked me if I'd ever considered joining the RAF. And I said, well, isn't everyone in the RAF a pilot? And he says, no, no, there's lots of different rules. And um, his rule was a clerk. He was personnel admin. So um, in the spring of 83, he said, um, well, why don't I get in touch with one of my colleagues at the office and I'll arrange for you to pop along and have a chat. I went, okay, that's fine then. I was 16 at the time. So I popped along to have a chat and the the sergeant behind the desk was a supplier and uh, one of the questions he asked me, um, is it the Royal Air Force that you want to join or is it one of these trades that you put down on the bit of paper? And I had, uh, I think I had Clark, BTI and Fireman. And I thought of the right answer and I said, oh, no, it's the Royal Air Force I want to join. And he says, okay, it's, it's April now. Uh, if you join as a supplier, you can be in in four weeks. I went, what? And he says, yeah. <laughs> I said, well, um, I'll have to have some time to speak to my parents. 
And he said, yeah, your dad's got to sign a form because you're under 18. I, I was like, just about to say, just so I was just about to say, if you if you join the services under the age of 18, and I'm pretty sure that, you know, it was the case at the time because you joined a similar time to me. Yeah. That if you did any time before eighteen, that was kind of classed as time for the Queen, and <laughs> exactly. not not to not towards your pension, if That's I right. remember rightly. Yeah. So, yeah. and you had to get parents' signature to to oh, allow you yeah. to join. So at sixteen, yeah. that's quite. I mean, interestingly, I spoke to another sixteen-year-old recently who joined the Navy. Uh, what what was the what was the what what was the impact on your parents when you went home and said, you know, I want to join the Air Force? Well, it was the fastest thing my dad had ever signed. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Um, my mom said something like, well, if you don't do it, you'll always regret it. And at the time, the recruiter said, well, you're only 16. We'll just give you a, a six-year engagement. And then right. here I am 38 years later. So, Helen, at what point did you and Tony meet and get together? Uh, we were actually still at school. So, um, so yeah, just through school and all of our friends were the same friends and just you know we just sort of grew up like that really um, so even he's now come around and turned around to you to his girlfriend at the time and said uh i'm going off to the air force how did how did you take that what did you think of that at the time um at the, at the time because it was at a time sort of like you know early mid 80s where they just you you really struggled to get a job um and i knew we needed to do something that was more active um and I remember the night after he'd been to the careers office and he came round to our house and even talking to my parents because my dad had done national service in the RAF um, right. and my mum had been a volunteer. So um, so that was nice. So they were, yeah. you know, very encouraging and, and talking to you about different, th you know, different aspects of it. So, um, so, yeah, and to be honest, it was just all a bit of a whirlwind. And then four weeks later, you know, there he was. You know, his mum was waving him off at Newcastle uh, train station with his And what a different time then, because no mobile yeah. phones, you know, yeah. the kind of, you know, internet and things like that. So keeping in touch when he's gone, I, I imagine he might as well have been the other side of the world as, uh, as away yeah. from Newcastle at that time. Yeah, you had to write things called letters in them days, didn't you? <laughs> oh, wow. So, Tony, you've gone in, you, you've gone in pretty quick. You've, you've gone in as a supplier into the Air Force. First posting, where did that take you? Because obviously Newcastle is home, but you've now, I'm assuming yeah. you went towards Swinderby in Lincoln, That's Lincolnshire correct, yeah. for your, yeah, same as me. Yeah. Where was your first posting? Where did you go? Well, uh, trade training was at Arrowford. And then I got posted to RAF North Luffnam, which is in Rutland, Leicestershire. Yeah. Um, and you asked what your preferences were. So it, um, around the same time, um, the, the, the intention of Helen was to go to uni. And uh, her choices were Sheffield and Leicester. So I put down East Midlands and I got posted you know roughly east midland so i was i was quite happy with that and then <laughs> helen decided not to go to uni <laughs> so, so, <laughs> yeah this was my fault <laughs> yeah but then uh, we got married in june 1985 so i was just coming home at weekends for 18 months or so and then we moved into marry quarters at rf north Luffnam. So still both of you, you know, very young, actually yeah. got married very young then and, and bang, you're, you're both away from Newcastle, kind of, did you go back up to Newcastle often? Did you visit family? Did they come to you or was it a real separation for a period of time? 
there was a real separation once we'd moved into the Maricourt. Yeah, because, I mean, we, we visited and they came down. But yeah. It, you know. But Helen got a job and I played football at the weekend as well. Uh, and then, actually, we got married June 85. April 86, I got posted to Bruggen in Germany and we were right. there for four years. And that was a life-changing four years, really. Mm. We went there with absolutely nothing. We didn't have our, our own car. We had a portable t- television and one of those hi-fi stacking systems. Oh, didn't uh, and I think for, for, for anybody under the age of 30 listening to the podcast <laughs> yes. now, let me just explain what a hi-fi yeah. system yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a very big version of, a, of an I- iPhone or a, <laughs> an right, Apple yeah. iPod. But so, you know, really different times, obviously, yeah. you guys suddenly over to Germany. So Helen must have been quite a culture shock for you going, you know, you were going to university one minute, the next minute you're in Germany for four years. I mean, how, how did you settle into that environment and how did you find your feet in in kind of like an, on, on base on a military camp? What was that like for you? Um, it, it went well, to be honest, because the, the sort of patch of um, flats that we were living in, were next to a town. They weren't right next to um, Bruggen, where he was living, uh, working, sorry. So um, there was a nice little community there and everybody was friendly. And uh, he sort of got chatting with a neighbour and chatting, you, you know, who said, oh, some, somewhere else. So I got a job quite quickly um, in the local town, actually. Um, yeah. So a few postings, obviously, through 37 years, you know, or 30-odd 30, 30 years, you, you know, you will have moved around quite a bit during that time. But... At what point did children come along? Because obviously now you're, you're away in Bruggen. How, how did, when did the family start to grow? Well, I, I was actually eight months pregnant with our daughter when we moved back from Bruggen. Um, so that was pretty hard. So Helen came back to the UK a couple of weeks early. I stayed on, marched out of the flat at Bruggen. And then... Um, on the 17th of April, Amanda, our daughter, was born. So that was all a bit of a rush. Yeah. Because I got posted to Wittering in Cambridgeshire. And I remember yep. going down to the, the hospital in, in Peterborough and saying, oh, this is Helen, my wife. She's um, eight and a half months pregnant. And they went into a bit of a flat spin, to be quite honest, because they didn't have any notes or anything like that. Yeah. But all went really well. Um, and we were at, at RF Wittering for six years. So that's quite a stabilising period then. I mean, you've obviously done it, you know, away from home. You've gone to Germany now. And then, and a six-year posting at least allows you to kind of, I suppose, you know, your daughter will have started school in that in that yeah. period of time, etc. During that time, were you were you constantly there? Were you detached away at any time during that, Tony? I was that, uh, detached away quite a lot of time um, in, in that six years. Uh, we bought our own house um January 91, Helen moved in. Um, so I went out to the Middle East in November 90 because the Gulf War kicked off and we'd already paid a deposit on this brand new house in a, a local village. Um, Amanda was seven months old. So rather than cancelling the house, uh, Helen said, well, while you're away, I'll, I'll, I'll move out the quarter and I'll move into the brand new house. So that's what she did. And then well, uh, I, I, I was away for five months and I came back and I t- t- turned up in the MT car at this house that Helen had moved into and sorted out all on her own in the five months that I'd been away at the war. 
Helen, we talk on the pod about the transition process and, and applying for jobs and next jobs and, and what employers are looking for. And one of the things that all military people have is, is a degree of resilience and organisation and, you know, adaptability. But actually, this is why I wanted to have this conversation, because actually you've got all those qualities as well. You've had to, you know, with a, a less than one year old child, you've moved into a house on your own, husband's away that settling in process on your own what kind of support did you have around you because obviously family are up in in the northeast how did how did you cope with that um well I won't say it wasn't difficult because it was I mean we had a couple of friends from Tony's work um that um you know helped out like there was a couple who helped us with the removals we just hired a van um parents came down you know now and again when they could for a for a weekend but it, it was hard because then I I'd, I'd moved like I said with a, with a baby into a village where I didn't know anybody so um you know I really was starting and I hadn't had my job to go back to because we'd just come back from Germany so that that was a really hard time actually um but you, you just sort of I used to go along to local mums and toddler groups and you know at least I had the baby to then have an excuse to go go places to to meet people so so if you think about the postings from there i mean did you did you keep the family house in one place and you went off and was posted and commuting back or did you did you uproot the family each time you had a posting well at that point um from Wittrin, I, I went back to north lufnam again uh so we stayed in the same house and then i went to cottesmore and we stayed in the same house and then some civilian friends of ours in the village we um, we took them for a short holiday up to, up to the northeast coast, and uh, this friend said, "I don't know what you're doing living down here with this beautiful beautiful coastline," and that started starts to make us think. And I was a sergeant at the time, and I was I'd been in for fifteen or sixteen years. So what we decided to do, we bought a house in the northeast, and I moved into the mess, and I used to work Monday to Friday at um, Cottesmore. And I travel back up to the northeast at weekends, but um, like I alluded to earlier, it was quite a heavy period for out of area detachments. So every two to three years, I was going away for four or five months. And when I came to the point, I was just approaching my. Um, I'd been in twenty years, twenty-one years, and I got promoted again. And they said you're promoted a flight sergeant, and you posted to RAF Innsworth. And I didn't have much idea where that was down in the southwest somewhere. Looked for it on the map. And that was a big decision time. Do I turn that down and leave at 40 when I've done my 22 years? Or do I accept it, sign on again, embrace it? But I didn't want to live in the mess any longer. So we would have to move house. And uh, we jumped on the train with the kids and we went down to Innsworth and we stayed in one of the contact flats on camp. And there was a, a lad that I'd met in the Falklands a year or so previously lived down there. And the shoulders around the area, shoulders around the schools, had the discussion with the kids and with Helen and we decided to go for it. And uh, now I think what's, interest, what's interesting for me, Helen, particularly is, is, I mean, what you've gone through there, the moves, you know, you've come back to the northeast. Now we're moving again. And, you know, it's a, it's a big thing. Tony being away during the week and just coming back on weekends. You know, most people in, in relationships, in, in normal civilian jobs, don't have to go through that kind of stuff. You know, they, they, they meet someone in their hometown or, you know, they're nearby. 
how did that how did that play out for you over the over the number of years and I, I realize you went through it a couple of times here with him being away and detached and what have you did you almost become kind of hardened to it but you know I, I suppose you know you've been through it once you know what this is like how, how did you find that when it's happening on time and time again um it, it was hard I think those five years up in the northeast were especially hard because the children were, were younger um but you, you just sort of I, I don't know you, you just I just get on with things and you just harden yourself to it um in a lot of respects I was like a single parent but I had like you know, almost the inconvenience of having a husband. And I think because then I was away from the RAF life, sort of in with Sibby Street, um, they haven't got this sort of understanding or appreciation quite of, of what it's like or what, what your husband actually has to do, especially when he's away for four months on a time. Um, and again, that was the time before you had mobile phones. Um, yeah. You know, it was the dark ages, really. So so it was hard. Um the, de the decision to move down to, to Innsworth, um, at the time, it, it didn't seem a difficult decision. It was just what we knew we had to do, really. Yeah. Um, the one that affected us most was my daughter, because she was 13. Um, and, and, you know, she, she really had a hard time with it. Um, yeah, I've got daughters myself, and I can, you know, that age from, I'm going to say, sort of 13 to kind of 17, you know, they've got friendship groups that, you know, their kind of life is developing. And then all of a sudden you yank them away from that down to the other end of the country. And I can imagine that's that's probably the biggest challenge is, is how you settle them into new friendship groups, new schools, all those kinds of things. Yeah, because I think especially we're living in the northeast, um, and they were like civilian kids, really. And then we're moving right down to, you know, on the outskirts of Gloucester. It was like... Different world, it, really. It was a different world, just different. Obviously, they spoke different, just different. It was like going... Well, I've got to be careful what I say, hasn't it? But it was just completely <laughs> different. It was just was complete, completely yeah. different. Yeah. Um, so, so Tony and I spoke previously. We had a chat a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and one of the things I was interested in while the children at that age might have not necessarily resented, but kind of found it quite difficult to settle and might have thought, oh, why do we have to move? If you kind of fast forward to now and them as adults, and obviously they, they've grown up and they've been used to moving and they've been used to seeing Tony having to move and post it. Do you think that's given them a set of skills and a bit of resilience in their own lives where they're more prepared to you know, go after a job that's maybe in another city or move or, or kind of expand their thinking a little bit. Do you think that's been a byproduct of that? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, it's made them, you know, the sort of adults they are today, really. Um, but even our, our daughter, going back to our daughter, she's the eldest. Um, she stayed in Gloucestershire to do uni and then, she, you know, she worked, she got a job. And then about, what, two and a half, two and a half years ago, um, she applied for and um, got a job up here in the northeast so she so she moved up with her, with her daughter who was under a year old at yeah. the time um, and her boyfriend who hadn't really left Gloucester much no if, if at all yeah. um, and you know they, they moved lock stock and barrel up here um, there's an there's an irony in there somewhere yeah. is that you know rewind 
That sounds exactly like what mum did. So that so that's given them in some ways, maybe not intentionally at the time, but that's definitely given them a slightly different perspective on on moving and, and moving with with family and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. so positives to come out of that scenario. So coming back to you, Tony, in terms of moving around, you mentioned you you kind of met some colleagues down in the Falklands in the time, and you you said that you've gone out of area, gone Middle East, etc moving towards the, the back end of your career and such, what, what were the main differences that you you saw in the service from, you know, the first time that you got sent out of area to to maybe more, you know, more recently? What, what were the biggest differences for you being being posted and moved away? Well, my first out of area detachment was out in the Middle East in 1990. And um, we didn't have a phone at home. There was no internet, uh, no mobile. So our communication was by the the bluey letters and you got into a routine of writing a bluey if not every day every other day and you look forward to them the mail coming in on the aircraft and reading your blueys and you used to number them so you knew yeah. what order to read them in and things like that but um and then um i first went to the falklands um over christmas 99 and again the, the internet was very very new we didn't have a computer at home and um, you didn't get a phone card at the time and it was a pound a minute on the phone. So I used to buy a 20 pound phone card a week and used to ring midweek and at the weekend. But we, 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 we that's all we were used to. So we didn't really mind. So in, in 99, when I went down to the Falklands, when people stepped off the aircraft, the first thing that most people said was, where's the smoking area? And then in 2018, I was back in the Falkland Islands and I was responsible for logistics and movements. So when people stepped off the aircraft, the first thing they asked for was the Wi-Fi code. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that was a big difference. And yeah. um, especially the younger generations used to get really stressed out in the Falklands because at that time, the, the, the Wi-Fi wasn't very reliable and you didn't have access everywhere. There was hotspots yeah. in the the accommodation but on all of the out of area detachments that i had we stuck to the routine of a phone call midweek and a phone call at the weekend and then in between times we'd get into our our own routines yeah and i think it's quite funny because you can look at the modern age with all the ability to communicate now with skype calls you know and as we are on a zoom call and all those things and if you were to say to people now you can only communicate by letters twice a week (laughs) then you know and you know how instant social media is these days you know someone posts something and it's an instant like and uh, and all that sort of thing what what you've done there is you you've you know that's what it is that's the circumstances you're in and you've accepted it and you just okay we we make do but i think there's there's a um a resilience and an adaptability there which you wouldn't have realized at the time but all these are kind of skills that you're just yeah. developing so so there's no drama um yeah. so you've now you're now coming towards the time where and i know for for the listeners to the pod you are now preparing to leave you've decided you know now's the time everything's in place for for the next stage of the career so what, what was the decision for you what, what did you want to do when you left when you leave the service sorry and and how far out in advance had you started preparing? What, what, what are the things that you've looked at? So at the start of last year, I thought, right, I've got 18 months left. I'll, I'll do all my resettlement now. And then COVID hit. Uh, and we had our house up for sale. And that fell through a couple of times. And 
Um, we found a house here that we're sitting in now that we wanted to buy, but that got delayed and, and what have you. So actually, last year was the most difficult year that we've ever had. And in the January, um, Helen was diagnosed with breast cancer as well. So uh, 2020 was difficult for everybody, but for the Dunn family, it was even more difficult. Uh, thankfully, we're over most of that now, when we moved into this home that we've got now um, up on the northeast coast in, in, in December, Helen's breast cancer treatment went extremely well and um, um, cancer-free now. And I've decided, I did enjoy my time in the service, but I, I, I want to follow my passion. I've always enjoyed sport and fitness. So on my resettlement, I qualified as a, a personal trainer. I mean, that's, that's fantastic on the base. First of all, I want to say, Helen, really great news that uh, that things are good on the uh, on the treatment front. That that's a that's a real uh, relief, I'm sure. But you know, a difficult year for a lot of people last year. But coinciding then with right, how do I plan for the next stage? And Helen, you've you've followed this guy around the world uh, over the last decades. You've you've done the kids when he's not there, and you've kind of held everything together. And now you're facing, okay, I'm actually going to get Tony at home all the time now. We're going to move back and he's coming yeah. out of the, the, the service. What does that transition look like for you, Helen? Is this is this the, the kind of, this is our time now and you, you can plan things together? Is there, a, is there a little bit of nervousness about what's on the horizon from the, from the transition? How are you feeling about it? Um, a bit of both of those things, really. I think last, last like Tony said, last year was hard. Um, but then on the upside of it is um, we just we were just together. There was just us two together. I'm glad that Tony's now been able to follow his passion and do what he wants to do. And it is just falling into place. So that's meant to be as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, yeah, we just want to, you know, we've both worked hard and we've give up a lot of things. Or, we've, you know, we've had to go through certain experiences that other people wouldn't have expected to have to go through so yeah we just want our time now and do things now while we still can and enjoy the grandchildren while they're young and um and yeah it, it's nice to know that after everything we can do that yeah and I was talking to somebody recently on the pod and one of the things that they said was actually when they left the army and they'd been you know been away in the army and they'd spent pretty much six years away from their partner just you know much as you and Tony have you know the the traveling on weekends and so forth was they actually had to almost kind of reacquaint themselves with each other and be there you know seven days a week 24 7 which they weren't used to doing in the previous six years and but that, that sounds like that's great you've kind of gone through this very you know full and busy life you've you've had some challenges of, of you know being apart when kids are young and moving house and all that stuff but now this this next chapter is it's back to, to us too so if you look back on that that whole service career, I mean, obviously, Tony, you can look back on the the awards, the promotions and, and all those things. What was what was the hardest thing about being a family man, if you like, during that service career? What did you find to be the hardest thing? So, so I, um, I I did 10 occasions where I, I went away for a four or six month period and I can still feel the feelings and emotions that I had on the day that I deployed. Um, yeah. And those were the hardest things. 
and I, I can still feel on the day at work when I was told I was going away again, when I came home that night, uh, choosing the time to let the family know because they would say, oh, here we go again. And then uh, on the flip side, the feelings and emotions when you step into the air terminal of Bryce, when you're coming back from that out of area detachment, it's absolutely elation and uh, uh, absolutely fantastic. So yeah, sure. that, that, that week or a fortnight before the deployment and the day that you go, those were the hardest times. Yeah, but then, I imagine. Um, but then, yeah, they're all fantastic experiences. And every time I went away, I did enjoy what I was doing. It was it was different. Um, and I'm glad that I did that, because if I wasn't glad and I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't have stayed in for 38 years. Absolutely. And, and Helen, from your side of things, you've you kind of moved away from home, you've gone overseas, you've, you've kind of done all those things. If you look back, what are the, what are the strongest sort of uh, memories or emotions you get from looking back on, on Tony's career before he starts this next chapter? Um, I think one of the most memorable things that I'll always remember is his last um, out of area yeah. when he went down to Falcons a couple of years ago. Um, and he, cause he, he does still have nightmares and he wakes up in a sweat because he thinks he's been told he's going back down to the Falcons again. But anyway, that was, that was the third time you'd been, wasn't it? Yeah. So, and it was a six months um, sort of detachment. So instead of him coming home for his two weeks R and R, I went down there. Wow. Was, okay. And I would really would recommend that to any, you know, any sort of um, service, you know, wife, family, anything, you know, go down there. And, and it, yeah, was, it was, it was almost like the best holiday we've ever had, I think, because we'd been apart for four months um and then i went i went down there and saw a little bit of his world as to where he'd been when he was away all this time um and actually we were sat in a in a little cafe in stanley um on the afternoon that he got a call from the chief clerk yeah. to say that his post into lehman um had come through when we got back so we were just sat there looking <laughs> at each other thinking oh crikey you know everything that we've planned for is now actually going to work and it was almost like uh, panic in some in some ways yeah. think oh no we've got to do it. Oh, I think, you know and then you start thinking all right I've got to go home now and I've got to um sort out the house and the move and the removals and and um everything just sort of kicked in and you just uh, that's, pilot that's and a, things. yeah that's a fascinating little insight because first yeah. of all I wasn't aware that the families could actually go down and spend the R&R down there because that certainly wasn't a, a case when I was in but I think the other side of that is if you said to most people oh, I'm going to go on a holiday where are you go I'm going to the Falkland Islands they probably would rather the two-week all-inclusive in in Turkey or something <laughs> instead yeah. so 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 that's yeah. uh, that, that's certainly testament there but uh, no a fantastic insight that and, and, and what a great what a great story listen I'm really grateful to both of you for for coming on the pod together and and just sharing some of the some of the insights into what it's like being in the service, but almost kind of married to the service as well. I've got one final thing, Helen, which, which intrigues me during the time that Tony's been in and you've mentioned when you were in Germany, you had a job in, in the local, uh, local town, etc. Now that you've, you've kind of finished, are you, are you looking at working again or are you looking at spe just spending the time together? You know, how, how, how often have you, gone back into the workplace, particularly when Tony's not around? Well, I've always done it, really. I've always fit in some sort of work, whether it was part-time evenings, you know, when the kids were little. 
um, up until, you know, we got down to Gloucester, I, I managed to get back into full-time work. So I'd just always sort of fit in um, around Tony, really, and being there, um, it, it has got harder as, as the, you know, each move that's gone on, I've found it harder to, um, to sort of settle in, let's settle into work, I think. Um, so after the couple of years in Lehman, um, we sort of made a decision whether it was brave or stupid or what, I don't know, but um, that I would not work for a while. So that's mm. what we've done. We've decided, you know, I was at the age where I could take my pension, my work pension early. Um, and that, that's what we're doing. Uh, and one of the reasons, yeah, what one of the reasons why I asked is, is I quite often see if there's a gap in employment, you know, by a spouse who's gone back to work because they've been looking after the kids or, or whatever that is, that employers just see a gap. Whereas actually, if, if you were to look at your experiences, you've, you've moved a house with an under one year old, you've, you've organized everything, you've planned everything on your own, that independence, that resilience. And actually, those are qualities that any employer should be looking at that and rather than seeing a gap in the CV going, well, tell us about what went on in that gap. And if you told your story, they'd be like, hang on, this is somebody who's resourceful, resilient. We want this person in, in our business. So that was the reason why I asked, actually, because I was intrigued to know if you found employers positive about your service kind of life or whether they saw that as a, as a, as a bit of a, a, an issue. And what, what do you, how do you see that? Um, I, what I found originally when we first got married and we moved down into um, the, the quarters at North Luffenham, so I was, you know, trying to get a job in the local um, sort of towns is when, when they looked at your application and they saw that you, you lived in a service house, it, it, I felt that was a negative. And then if you did get an interview, oh, well, you don't talk like everybody else talks around here, why not? So... I found that hampered me to start with because I thought, oh well, yeah, you know, your husband's in the in the forces. You're not. He's going to get moved around here. If I give you a job, you're going to be leaving soon. So certainly in the early in the early days, I found that as a very negative. Um, but then when we're in Germany, I started working for the MOD, and then when when we got down to Innsworth, I started working for the MOD. So that it was wasn't a problem then. Um, you know, right. it, just, it, it made it easier. Fantastic. Well, uh, Tony, Helen, listen, I, I wish you uh, the absolute best of luck with this next stage now. And, and Tony, your transition now into um, self-employment uh, yeah. and, follow and following your passion on that side. Uh, really grateful for you both giving up the time. I think it's been fantastic insight into, um, into the service life from both sides of the uh, both sides of the fence. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you very much for uh, for taking part in the pod today. No problem, Dominic. Uh, we've You're enjoyed welcome. it. <laughs> good, good stuff. What came through in the conversation with Tony and Helen is just how much experience and adaptability, resilience, organisational skills that Helen has had to deploy over the time that she's been married to Tony. I think it's an incredible story and to go that long in life and to now get to the stage where the kids have grown up and they're able to settle and, and actually have time together Tony pursuing his passion in his uh, in his later career is is a really inspirational story. I love talking to the both of them and what came across, uh, even even with the dog in the background making a couple of little whimpers from time to time, was the fact that their family has developed and they the family has gained 
from Tony's career as well and the impact on the children and their ability to kind of travel up route uh, and move themselves is a real positive. Uh, it was a completely different angle on the, this week's pod, but I hope you enjoyed it all the same. Tune in for another episode with another great guest. Thank you.